The first one comes from Genesis, and it will be Genesis 49, verses 8 to 10. You can just follow on the screen um, as I read. So Genesis, Genesis 49, verses 8 to 10. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a young lion, my son. You return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares, who dares to rise him? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose righteousness comes you and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. And the second reading comes from Matthew chapter 28 19 Is it 19 to 20 or 21? Yeah, I didn't think so because <laughs> on the 21, I'm thinking, have you added something? Hopefully not. Okay, so from 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This week, uh, one core value, one core principle uh, of Cornerstone's mission, and that is to reach out, to make disciples, and to build a biblical community to the glory of God. And look, oh my, the first part of that statement, would you look at that right out of the gates? It's to reach out. It's to reach out. Uh, we are not on about sitting pretty. We're not on about amassing in one locality. Uh, if we did that, we wouldn't be sitting here in this beautiful school. We'll be back at Concord or even still at Chinese Presbyterian Church at Surrey Hills, where we came from 25 years ago. Uh, our elders, Jeff and Ray, were there. They'll tell you all about it, as well as a few others. I think they were teenagers at the time. Youngest elders ever, I suppose. But we are on about reaching out. Why are we on about reaching out? Well, the video that you saw, the video that you saw hopefully gives you the clue and the direction. Uh, Christianity, out of all other major world faiths, is historically the most intensely expansive, rapid missionary religion. I hope you saw just now from the video just how explosive was that growth. How barrier-busting Christianity is. Bursting through people groups and cultures. And a surprising phenomenon that missiologists will tell you, those who study mission movements, is that Christianity, out of all other major world faiths, has a dynamic epicenter. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at Judaism, you, you can't go past Israel. Uh, if you look at Islam, you can't go past the Arab world. I mean, sure, there's Indonesia and Malaysia, but the epicenter is there in the Middle East. If you turn to Buddhism or Hinduism, the epicenter is and always has been 
Asia, China. But if you consider the global center of Christianity, where the highest concentration of Christians are, you find that the uh, epicenter moves. It moves by the periods of history. It first exploded through Jerusalem, and then moved through Rome, and then to Europe, and then to the West, as we know it now, America. Until now, where uh, Europe is now mostly, if not all, that is post-Christian, the mass of conversions, those who are becoming Christians, those who are producing the next leaders and missionaries, are now taking place in what missiologists call the Global South, Africa, Latin America, Central America, and the Global East, which is Asia. You know, I was, uh, I was brought up in a Christian home because my parents uh, believed in Jesus when they were studying at university in Canada. So my parents, who belonged to the Global East, got converted by being in the Global West from a message, a 2,000-year-old message that didn't originate in either part. Isn't that fascinating? See, what accounts for that kind of growth? What accounts for that impetus for that kind of movement, this kind of reaching out. Well, here it is in the passage that Kwa read for us in Matthew's Gospel. Here's what we learn from the text, so that we too can be a church that reaches out. We learn three things here about reaching out. The power to reach out, the program of it, and the promise when reaching out. The power, the program, and the promise. First thing, you see the power. You know, it's interesting, right? In this last scene uh, in Matthew's account, at the end of the Gospels, Jesus takes his disciples and he takes them to a mountain. Yeah? Now, big things happen, right? When uh, in this Gospel account, whenever there's a mountain, uh, Satan tempts Jesus on a mountain. We see that in Matthew 4. He passes the test, as it were. The, The achievement is unlocked, right? The Sermon on the Mount... This great launching charter, the Sermon on the Mount for the kingdom life was on a mountain. Matthew 7, Matthew 5 to 7. Uh, Jesus' transfiguration was on a mountain as well in Matthew 7. There's a big reveal that goes on. So on a mountain in Matthew's Gospel, you see a passing of a test, you see a great big reveal, and you have the launching of a new people. And here, in this climactic scene, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, you also see a mountain. Actually, you see all three. Jesus passes the ultimate test. Death has been broken. Jesus is alive. Achievement unlocked. You see a big reveal. You know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Worship takes place. You see the launching of a new people. Now, therefore, go and make disciples. See? See, the mountain scene hints at us that something big is about to occur. Something big is about to shake your world and launch you out. And the impetus for it, for all this, the power that you have to reach out, comes through the one single historical event. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, we often think that the resurrection is simply the back half of the Christian good news. You know it's important. You've got to have it. Something there to tie up loose ends. Or if you 
do know it's really important. We don't know exactly how it's so important, but here we see the how. Here we see the connection, the link between the resurrection and the entire Christian movement. And you know, just as a side here, one of the ways that you know that this is accurate history is how confused the people were when they first saw Jesus rise up from the dead. It was women who saw him first. They ran out with fear and joy in verse 8. The word got out to the chief priests. They had no idea what was going on. They just knew that this thing couldn't go public. So they had the guards bribed in just the passages before. If you were making up, uh, for example, if you were to make up the story of Christianity, if you were to make up the resurrection event, every character would conspire and collude towards your preconceived agenda. But everyone was confused. Some worshipped, some doubted. Whether whether they worshipped, but they didn't know what was really going on, or they did, it was clear, it was absolutely clear to everyone. Something happened that they needed to make sense of fast, and to make sense of really fast, the likes of which they had never seen before. And the only one who uh, made sense of the resurrection was not the first followers, not the church, not a committee. It was made sense of by Jesus Christ himself. What does he say? Verse 19. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, my rising again, this is it. This is going to be the power that will change the world and unleash you out into the world. What you saw on the Friday, me on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, that's been finished and accepted. It's been settled. And I'm the proof. I've broken death and I've paid the penalty for sins. The world is now on notice that I am the servant king. God has installed in the world and that is going to be the power that you and I would have to change the world to have for Christian mission Uh, in C.S. Lewis's uh, Narnia series the Chronicles of Narnia in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe right? famous children's popular fantasy uh, the land of Narnia uh, which is of course frozen by the white witch's spell uh, the four Pevensey children uh, find themselves in Narnia and they meet Aslan who we know is the figure for Christ and Aslan as you know sacrifices his life for Edward to free him from the witch and there's a remarkable scene in, in, in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Aslan, you know, dead on the stone table, mourned after by the Pevensey children, comes back to life. Uh, let me just read you this excerpt, all right? I want to transport you to Narnia, okay? Uh, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the excerpt goes, Lewis writes, At that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down from end to end and there was no Aslan. Who's done it? cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it more magic? Yes, said a great voice from behind their backs. It is more magic. 
They looked around, and there, shining in the sunrise, larger as they had ever seen him before, shaking his mane, for it grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children. But what does it mean, asked Susan. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there was a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she should have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in the traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. And now, oh yes, now, said Lucy, jumping up, clapping her hands. And now, said Aslan presently, business. I feel I'm going to roar. <laughs> Alright, now that's just a story, okay? Fiction, right? Children's fantasy, what's the point of reading that? But look, listen, here's the thing, right? See, you can look at the resurrection, and a lot of Christians do this, like, they can look at the resurrection very dryly, very dryly. It's doctrine, it's historical, it's a little embarrassing to prove, but yeah, look, it's there. But listen, if you ever have that attitude, that's not going to move you to do anything. That's not going to compel you to mission. See, unless you see the resurrection as more magic to come, winter spells undone by the rule of Jesus' reign, unless you see with Jesus to business, I feel like I'm going to war, you're not going to have uh, the power to go to mission. You won't be a mission in church. You see, the first disciples, right, when they first reached out in the book of Acts, they preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Romans chapter 1 tells us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ declares him to be the Son of God in power. Do you have that kind of mood and attitude at the resurrection of Jesus? See, one of the ways that you know that the Spirit is empowering you to reach out is when He whispers into your heart, He's alive. He's alive. So are you filled with wonder? Are you filled with awe? Does that capture your heart the way it captured the women's heart when they fled from the tomb? Let me tell you, if it doesn't, you're not going to be compelled to mission. You're not going to get out there. You're not going to be motivated. You're not going to be compelled. Because the resurrection of Jesus means that he's alive. The world's on notice. Jesus is king. That's then the first thing that we see, the power for reaching out. All right? So that's the power. But having the power to reach out, now you can actually get on with the program. So what's the program? That's the second point, the program of reaching out. You know, if you've been around in church for a while, uh, you'd notice that this text gets used quite a lot when uh, missionaries and Mission agencies come along and give their talks. And typically the idea is this, right? Here's what the program means from this text, that you must go overseas. You must go into the deepest jungles and villages to preach the good news. And of course there's a sense in which that's right. If you feel God's calling towards you, towards cross-cultural missions, if that's the heart he's given you and you've got the means and you've got the sending encouragement of the church, then you really should go. But I want to say here that this text isn't just 
a missionary text in that narrow sense. It's even more than that. It's a broader text. It's an expansive. It's not just a missionary text. It's a making text. It's hard to get at it in our English translations, but verse 19 has only one command, and that is to make, to make disciples. The, uh, the rest of the verbs there, even though it doesn't come across very clear in the English, the rest of the verbs there, go, baptize, teach, they are, what's, they are, they are participles. They are, they, are, they, are, they are what's called circumstantial participles. In other words, the verse is better translated, therefore, make disciples as you go on your way, as you're ba- baptizing, teaching, as you go, as you baptize, as you teach, everything that I've commanded you, see? In other words, Jesus' first followers were to start where they were now, in Galilee, Jerusalem. And they were to make disciples as they went from Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Now for us today, it means two things. And you kind of need both to understand this passage. First, it means that this command was given to the original disciples. See, what you and I have today in the 21st century, that we have the good news, we only have through the history of disciple-making through the centuries, which started from these 11 people. We ought, first of all, to be thankful of this great commission that was taken seriously by the very first followers of Jesus, even at risk and cost to their lives. We are all recipients of that, beneficiaries of that. But second... This text isn't just to the disciples, but this passage is also for us. You see it there at the end of verse 19. The disciples were to teach everything I have commanded you. Well, that of course means, and it would include this, uh, the, the commission itself by definition. You see, isn't it interesting, right, that the Great Commission here isn't go put on an event or go build a great church. Or even go evangelize or go convert a nation. It's go and make disciples. Now, why on earth is that the command? Now, why is that? Well, if you were here last week, you would have known. Last week, we've been going through uh, the core value series. Last week, we talked about discipleship. And a disciple is someone who is a committed follower of the Lord Jesus. And if you're a committed follower, you're going to do as Jesus did. You will walk as Jesus walked. You will reach as Jesus reached. You'll be as innocent as doves, and you'll be as shrewd as serpents. You're going to renounce and rebuke self-righteousness, beginning with yourself. And you'll be on fire for the truth of God's word in gentleness and in meekness. You'll lay down your life in service of other people. And when you do that, let me tell you, that would change the world. As Jesus changed the world, you will be a salt of the earth. You will be as salt of the earth. You will be as city on a hill. Don't you see? Uh, the whole program of reaching out is, 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 not just, is not merely converting people, but it is holistic renewal to be the kingdom citizen God is making you to be. The whole program, let me say that again, is not of reaching out. It's not just mere conversions. Merely becoming a Christian, being born again. But it is about holistic renewal to be the kingdom citizen God is calling you to be. And if that's true, then the work of reaching out has got to be way more expansive 
than going overseas or to the deepest jungles of Pongo Pongo. It's complete gospel conversion and renewal from top to bottom. We are to be reaching out, in other words, in order to make kingdom people, people whose hearts belongs to Jesus. Now what, what's that going to require? That's going to require you firstly to go. You see, to go is not just one more command, you know, like go and then make or something like that. Rather, it's the assumption. Go. You have to go. You have to get out. You have to get out of your comforts, to get out of your cliques, to lock on targets and baptizing them and teaching. The idea here, of course, is that to make disciples, you must consider the entire renewal of self from top to bottom. Passing through the waters of baptism, that signals your entry into God's people. And then growing in the word, which is the way that you grow as the people of God. That's how disciples are made. Now there's a lot that I could say about this by way of application, but let me just take just one. You know, a lot of believers in churches, sadly, fail to live out the Great Commission. And it isn't just because they don't have a heart for other countries and other people groups. Rather, they aren't reaching and they aren't making disciples. They're entirely comfortable in their little enclaves, their little cliques, their little ghettos. One of the things that we need to be aware of, and you need to hear this as someone, as a group here who's relatively small in number for now, is to never take our eyes off the mission. Don't get too complacent. Start sharing your stories. You start shaping culture whenever you start sharing stories. You know, whenever the elders now, Jeff and Ray and I, get together now and talk through church, one of the first things that I ask them, and I've done this a couple of times now, is just tell me a story. Just tell me a story. Tell me who you met. It could be the most mundane thing, but let me. But just tell me a story. Who are you reaching for Jesus? How did the conversation go? What did you learn? You realize what kind of impact that our church would make on itself when everyone is just used to asking each other, tell me a story. What happened? Who did you talk to this week? Tell me about that. How did the conversation go? What did you learn? You see? You don't have to give a full-blown gospel presentation like, yeah, as if you, you had to do a full-blown sort of thing. Just tell me who you came in contact with. Let's talk about that person. Pray about that person. You know? Uh, I was on a, uh, the, 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 the Rhodes uh, Park Run just yesterday morning. Uh, wrecked my legs um, in a 5K jog. Um, so, uh, uh, but then afterwards, I met uh, two fantastic people um, who uh, they were they actually inquired for my photography a year ago, but I turned down the job and I actually met them. So, very small world, but very awkward to start with. But yeah, I'm actually there now. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. And then I uh, realized that they uh, lived nearby down the road here in Concord. Their parents used to uh, go to a church uh, up at uh, uh, Northern District, CCC, uh, but they, they themselves just got married and, 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 um, and are unchurched. So I, I, I told them about this place. See, very simple, basic conversation as I was sweating from my jog, legs wrecked. You know, that's my story. I had a story from yesterday. Okay, everyone's got a story. What's your story? Tell me who you came in contact with. See, when we start doing that as a church, you're going to watch the the tone of the of the church culture just changes. It just changes. You know, rather than talking about the sports or who gossiped about you behind your back or what you're frustrated about, tell me a story about who you're reaching for Jesus. Who you're talking to? Excitement just goes up. You know, just bubbles up. People just get more excited about that. They're prayed for. 
Really exciting stuff. Keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? I mean, that's the point. But more importantly, it keeps you on the program. The program is to make disciples. Share your story. Share any story. That's just only one application, by the way. But, you know, we'll let that pass. We're going to go on to now the promise. Here's the last point. The promise while reaching out. Uh, let me tell you a story, uh, just while we're on the subject of telling stories. Uh, the week before, as some of you know, I was on my way to a connect group to visit, and uh, my car hit a flat in Eastwood. In Eastwood, uh, that was annoying, right? You know, Asian guy like me, couldn't change a flat. <laughs> ben just looking at me going, mm. uh, So I pulled over <laughs> on a side street, and I found, I tried to find the whitest guy I could, I knocked on the door and I found the whitest guy in Eastwood. All right, the whitest guy in Eastwood. He was, a, he was a get this. He was a retired engineer with the British Navy. Okay, full blown the whitest guy. So coincidental. Anyway, we got talking as he changed my flat, and I was holding the light for him. You know, I was being helpful. Okay, and um, and I he asked me what I did, and so I explained to him what I did for a living. I'm a minister. I used to be in the IT industry, but now I am a pastor. And he said to me, he was Catholic, I learned later, he said to me, oh, that is a rare thing to see. Young minister, big move as well from the IT sector. It's great that you're passionate about it. What a big, costly move. And whenever anyone says that, let me tell you, friends, whenever anyone says that, I know exactly what they're trying to mean. That I made a cuckoo decision. I had a fantastic plum job. Why would I give that up? You know. And most. And he asked me next, "Do I have kids?" Because they thought that I could marry. Right? I, yes, I, I married. I got three kids. Whoa, three kids! You're such a naughty pastor. You know. I know exactly what they're trying to mean. That I made a cuckoo decision. Right? That you know, it's great that you're passionate about it. Good on you for finding a job that you like. But it's unstable. It's unpredictable job. But, and immediately, I, I felt the urge to just say something like, you know, it's been great. I felt supported by all these, you know, my, my friends, my family are Christian. They love it. I've got a great denomination. You know, they support what I do. As soon as I said that, let me tell you, friends, I realized I entirely misspoke. I've been a coward. You realize that? I failed to enjoy what Jesus is promising here. Jesus never promised that those who live out the Great Commission, those who live out God's mission in the world, are going to live a comfortable, supported, protected life. He never promised it'll be easy. Well, for him, you know, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a pillow to rest his head. No, but what he has promised, and you've got to hear this, those who are going to be on mission for him, those who are going to make disciples in his name, is, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You remember how the Gospel of Matthew starts? The promised Messiah comes into the world, fulfilling prophecy, and his name is given, is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. You know, we celebrate this at Christmas. You know, we make a big thing of it. God with us. I mean, that's what we read about in the first part of Matthew's Gospel. But you know what, friends? Those who live out the mission of God in their lives celebrate that truth every single day. The end of the Gospel is what makes the good news good forever. 
That God is not just with us in that He's come into the world, but that He's with you and with me as we go out into all the world. Now, how on earth can that be? Well, here's how. See, we, we do not deserve to have God with us. We lived in rebellion against Him. We always have. But here's why Jesus came into the world. Matthew 1.21 says, You're to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life we should have lived. And he died the perfect death that we should have died because of our sins in our place. He was cut off. Do you guys realize that on the cross, Jesus Christ was cut off from the presence of God so that we can have his presence forever. He was cut off from the presence of God so you and I can have his presence in us forever. And that is how Jesus can make good on the promise that he will be with us till the very end of the age. He will be with us no matter what. That's the promise that goes with you. He can say, I am with you always till the very end of the age. You know what, friends, if you're not relishing in that, if you're not enjoying that, you haven't really understood the cross. You haven't come, you haven't understood what he's come to do. Did you see that he experienced the absolute darkest cosmic absence of God so that we can have the eternal presence of God? Does that comfort you? It really should. And it's so easy to miss it. You see, I've visited a couple of your connect groups so far. And I've listened a lot of you talk about how last year and the year before went since roads began. And I've heard the joys you've shared. And I've also heard the heartaches which you've suffered. Let me at least be real about them now as your pastor. I know what a struggle you've had under God to get this little congregation off the ground. I know how much more support you would have appreciated more prayer, more communication, more vision, more presence. That would have been very, very nice. And all those things are true. And they're well worthwhile to feed back. But don't you see, Cornerstone Hebrews Bay, there is one who has never left you, never forsaken you. His promise that he will always be with you till the end of the age extends to you here today. And it's as you go out, as you reach out, that he is with you. Did you guys realize that? You guys might have went out on faith, went out on limb. You guys might have risked a lot of your friends, your connections, your fun, fun, good times you had with our church. Let me tell you, Jesus' promise to be with you goes with you as you go out, as you reach out. That is, it's not unless you venture forth, put yourself out there, and yet even get burned by it, that you truly experience the joy of the presence of God. See, if you stayed right where you were when you should have went, or if you had left roads when the chips were down, how will you experience the presence of God? How will you experience the presence of Jesus? That's not like Jesus at all. Do you notice? Jesus didn't stay in his heavenly comfort. He came down 
And Jesus didn't quit when he faced opposition and hardship and heartache. He braved it. He says in John 20, 21, that as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. But we have more than just a commission, even a great commission. We have the promise by his presence. So that one of the ways that you know that the Spirit is empowering you to reach out is that he whispers into your heart, he's alive. But also he whispers in that same breath, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's true of you. So remember the power, friends, otherwise you're not going to move out to mission. Remember the program, otherwise you're not going to go about it right. And remember the promise, otherwise you'll be in despair. But that promise is the encouragement that you and I need to do church well here, to reach out, make disciples, and to build a biblical community to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your sure and precious promise. We thank you that the power that raised Jesus up from the dead is a power that now thrills our hearts and compels us to mission local and global. Father, we thank you for the program that you've given us to make disciples, not to overcomplicate things or to make things uh, worse than they really are, but to really press into our hearts the need to make followers of Jesus. Father, rebuke our hearts when we have gone astray from that. Correct our hearts when we have overbloated that and overcomplicated things. But still instill in our hearts, Father God, the presence of your Spirit, your presence in our hearts, that we do not go out alone, we do not ever reach out alone, even though it feels that way, but give us instead a greater sense of your presence with us so that we may be galvanized and inspired towards greater and more courageous outreach for Jesus' sake. Amen.